morning that, Lord, for your anointing, ask you, Lord, for your anointing. That, God, I'm a mere man who, Lord, cannot do anything other than that which, Lord, you give and bless. Lord, all of life is a gift from you. So, Lord, now may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be pleasing in your sight. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. You may be seated. Well, if you have your Bibles this morning, I'm going to ask you to open them up to Ephesians 4, the passage that Kirby McCreary read this morning, Ephesians 4, verses 17 to 32, and uh, I think that's on page 977 of your Pew Bible. So Ephesians 4, beginning with verse 17, and while you're, while you're turning there, I, I, I wanted to ask you guys a question or just uh, actually kind of talk about something here for a moment, and it's this, that... Um, Notice something around our house, and it's this. It's that uh, cleaning out things, or cleaning things in general, (laughs) is kind of a point of contention at our home. Say, what do you mean? Well, Dana, my wife, is very good at cleaning out things. I'm not so good at cleaning out things. And she's really good at throwing away junk and extra stuff that we tend to collect around the house and, and, and just generally can keep the space really tidy, really neat, and really pristine. My office is typically a wreck with stacks of papers and looks kind of like a mad scientist or something like that works in there. But anyway, I know where everything's at. But uh, she's not always, when she does go on a cleaning rampage, she's not always very successful at it. You say, well, why is that? And it's like this week, she cleaned out our junk drawer. And uh, I looked over in the trash can and I started seeing things and started picking them out. I, why are you throwing this away? I may need that. No, I, I need to keep this and we need to keep this and we need to keep that. And so, yeah, her, her, her level of cleaning doesn't always happen like it should because I sort through the trash and I dig things back out. Sometimes to her knowledge, sometimes not. <laughs> and, you know, I do, though, kind of think as Christians, maybe sometimes we do the same thing spiritually. You say, what do you mean? Well, for a lot of us, if you've been in a Christian faith for a long time or for a while, or maybe just depending on where your walk's at, when we first become Christians, you know, we usually have a lot of, uh, of, of vice and a, a lot of habits and a lot of things that are not so good, that are just not worthy with, to our walk with Christ, and immediately we'll get rid of them. We'll, we'll cast them away from us. We'll stop doing those things. We'll walk away from them. But then, over a course of time, and for whatever reasons, it could be for many reasons, kind of like what I was doing in a trash can, we'll go back after we've gotten those things out of our life, and we begin to pick them back up. We're like, I may need that. I'm going to put it in my pocket. I'm going to carry it around with me for a while, or put it back in the drawer, and and hold on to it for, for a reason. And so I believe the Apostle Paul knew that about us. You say, what do you mean? Well, because in Ephesians 4, 17 to 32... There are essentially two things that Paul is going to talk to us about today. Two things. One, what are we to put off? And two, what are things that we are to put on? Things that we are to put off and things that we are to put on. And so the title of this sermon is really, Off with the Old, On with the New. And so first, what are the things we are to put off? Well, Paul tells us it's our former manner of life. Let's begin looking at this. If you look with me, verse 17 of chapter 4. Paul writing, he says, Now this I say, and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do. In the futility of their, or futility of their minds, they are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God 
because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. My friends, as I've said elsewhere in this sermon series, we've been on a pretty positive roll for the most part through Ephesians. And sometimes when we hear words like these, like words like these from Paul, words like, or phrases apart from God, or words like they are ignorant, that they are hard in heart, they can, they can be kind of difficult for us to digest. And sometimes they can even make us uncomfortable. Why is that? These type words make us uncomfortable because when we hear stuff like that, we immediately begin to self-examine, asking, is, is any of this true of me? And Paul just cuts to the chase. He just tells it like it is. And these words, particularly in verses 17 to 19, they just point out really how deadly the pagan life is. Say, why, why, why are these so, and, and so what is Paul's point by doing that? His point is that listing these things right off the bat, he's trying to explain and expose and warn his readers so that they would flee from these things. He points out to them just how deadly the pagan life can be, the life of the Gentiles in this context. So let's unpack these. In verse, 14, or excuse me, verse 17 again, he says, Now this I say and testify to you in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do. Well, how do the Gentiles just walk? He tells us. And the futility of their, or the futility of their minds. Futility of their minds. What does that mean? Futility means base human existence. It means that their only concerns in life are for breathing, for food, drink, shelter, affection, and probably sex. And then in verse 18, he says they are darkened in their understanding. Well, what does that mean? He says that they're in a continuous state, or it means that they're in a continuous state of having a blinded mind, that their minds are shrouded in darkness. Picture, if you will, somebody walking around with a black trash bag over their head, basically. He also says they're alienated from the life of God, that they're in a constant state of being away from God, strangers to God. He goes on and says, and it's because of the ignorance that is in them, meaning that they have the inability to comprehend or, lack, or they have a lack of knowledge. He says it's due to their hardness of heart. What does that mean? It means that they're closed-minded. It means that they demonstrate an unteachable spirit and an unwillingness to learn. And then he says in verse 19 that they have become calloused. A person who is calloused ceases to feel they cannot feel pain. They cannot feel grief when they see evil or moral atrocities committed in front of them. They lack moral, they lack moral discernment. They don't have a conscience. And they do not have the ability to exercise moral constraint. When you, Paul uses that word callous, I you couldn't help but think about it. I mean, how many of you ever had calluses on your hands, right? From, from, from do, doing some guys work out. And I know they get calluses. Sometimes it's from overwashing your hands. But I know before I've had calluses built up on my hands from splitting wood and stuff like that out at my place. And I've missed with, or slipped with a razor knife or something and, and cut my hand or cut right there on my thumb. Didn't even realize it because the skin was so thick and, and just kind of gotten so tough. Didn't even bleed because it was so calloused. 
And so what Paul's saying is that the same thing happens to us when we are, or when we are calloused and we are exposed over and over and over to immoral roughness of the world. And after a while, we just begin to kind of, sh- or, or after a while, just begin to shrug shoulders at it, becoming too, or desensitized to it. He also says they've given themselves up to sensuality, meaning that they have delivered themselves over to unrestrained, outrageous moral behavior with no control. See, the etymology for the word sensuality refers to that which involves illicit, sexual, licentious practices, such that which a dog, a rooster, or a goat would act out in public. Paul also says that they're greedy to practice every kind of impurity. Greedy here describes someone as someone who's groping or grabbing or overreaching or even extorting the people around them so that they can embrace and live out the lewdness of their obscene desires. And so, friend, when we look at a list like this, this is very, very sobering stuff because there's a a progression of thought to it that really starts. The progression goes like this. A hard heart, it leads to futile and willing ignorance, which involves involves one being alienated from the life of God, which leads to one being darkened in their understanding, which results in one becoming callous and given up to sensuality, and thus one becomes greedy to practice all kinds of impure mess. And beloved, what Paul points this out, the reason he goes through this list is to simply say this, beloved, you cannot live like this. You must no longer walk like this. Why? Because it's dehumanizing. It's less than human. It leaves people spiritually dead, morally bankrupt, corrupt, mentally ignorant, and unchecked. Cannot lead to just spiritual death, but in some cases actually lead to physical death. Because it's not the real life that God has intended for you in Jesus Christ. And friends, I know when you begin to engage the culture with stuff like this. And begin to make these kinds of assertions like Paul does. You hear things like, you know, you Christians, I understand you guys to a degree that you love Jesus. And I really like the one that loves little kids and children and blesses everybody. But you know, really and truly, you Christians are just so closed-minded. You have no regard for serious thought. And friends, many in the culture believe that the Christians of today live in a shallow fantasy world divorced from the solid truths of real life. But friends, I would submit that that's not at all what the Apostle Paul was talking about here. In fact, I think he describes right the opposite. What do you mean? Look at verses 20 and 22 with me. I'm going to emphasize certain words. He says, but that, or but, that is not the way you learned Christ, assuming that you heard about him and were taught in him, as the truth is in Jesus. See, learn means to be taught about Christ in this context and practice and experience. And heard To hear is part of a learning process of hearing and comprehending and living out what is being said. And taught here means that their teaching took place in a public context or a public assembly. And that the truth that is in Jesus means that the practices that they learned were in accord with the gospel of Jesus. Something to the effect of that they are sinners, that Christ came and loved, lived and died for them. He went to the cross, paid for their sins, and on the third day was resurrected, giving them new life. And so, friends, those words, learned, heard, taught, truth, think about it for a moment. All those concepts involve the mind as well as the heart, the total being. 
And so it seems here that what Paul has in view is not a narrowing of one's personal understanding, but actually a broadening of one's understanding. And that Paul's point is this. It's that the gospel of Christ actually opens the minds of Christians so we can grasp deeper truths about God, deeper truths about ourselves and the world, and live at deeper levels about what it means to be human, which will result in Christians living differently in the world because their hearts and minds and imaginations have been open to wider insights that come by knowing Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. It comes by knowing and following his example in the world and by living out the power of his death, burial, and resurrection in their lives and in the world. And so Paul basically says that's not how you learn Christ, but you have learned Christ. And so after learning about who Christ is, who they are in Christ, what Christ has done, and what Christ has done for them, all that Ephesians 1 through 3 stuff I've been talking about for weeks and weeks and weeks ago, Paul's like, what then? Or there's a question we could ask, what then are they to do? Read with me verse 22. Paul says, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through the deceitful desires. In a word, Paul is telling the Christians, the Ephesians there, clean out your closets. Take a spiritual inventory and clean out your closets. Say, well, what does it mean to put off our old self? What, what, what does that mean? Well, the phrase put off means to take off or remove or cast off from oneself like an article of shabby, worn-out clothing. And the syntax of the Greek structure indicates that this is to be a once-and-done action or moment. Well, what is this old self then? Well, they are to put off their old selves. That's what Paul's telling them. Their old self means, or their old self, that is their identity, which belongs to their former manner of life, a life that was corrupt. Corrupt like what? Corrupt like a rotten corpse. How many of you were here for the roadkill sermon? Do you remember that? Yeah. Basically what Paul's saying here is like, look, those old desires, it's kind of like if you went out there and, and, and had put the, road, the roadkill pelt on. In other words, you've got that skin on you. It's corrupt those, from those desires and, and rotten things that are in your life. Take that off. Take that off. Why is that? Because the desires that you're living into are based on lies. They're deceitful desires. And so when you put the concepts of putting off the old self and the former manner of life together, what does that look like? Beloved, it looks like a crisis decision in your life. It looks like a, a crisis decision in my life. It's where we come to the point of saying in our life, listen, you, or, or something along these lines, that Jesus, these, these old patterns and habits in my life, they're killing me. I'm done with it. The habits, the desires, my old identity, whatever that is, Jesus, now you are my identity. And that stuff I've been doing, it's just killing me. I don't want it. I don't want to flirt with it. I want it gone. And just as one would take off and remove dirty pair of clothes, you take off the old life, the old ID, the old identity, those old habits, and give them to Jesus. But friends, there's not just the negative of putting off. There's also the positive of putting on. That's point number two. What are we to put on now or what we are to put on now? 
Paul tells us that is our new, our new selves by the renewing of our minds. Read with me verses 22 to 20, or 23 to 24. He says, and be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God into true righteousness and holiness. And so essentially there's two things from that passage we need to, need to understand or unpack One is, what does it mean to be renewed in the spirit of our minds? See, the word renew means to constantly, not just one time, but to constantly be in the state of something. It means to, and so to renew constantly, or to be in the state of constant renewing, means that we are always becoming new. And becoming new in such a way that we're superior to the old. It's a constant state of reformation or renovation inside. It's kind of like if you were to remodel a house all or, all, or be about remodeling a house all the time. And if you've ever remodeled a house, some of you probably know what a perpetual remodeling of the house actually is. The project never goes away, right? Except in this case, it's remodeling the habits of our hearts. Remodeling our souls. Remodeling our minds and our bodies. Okay? Well, what about this putting on the new self? And so just like we took off or put off old clothes, we're to put on new clothing, which involves putting on the likeness of God who is, the right, who is righteous and holy. All right, how do we do that? That's a lot of theory. How do we do that? Paul says basically this. It's by putting on new life patterns. What new life patterns? Well, look. Those are all the way through verses 25 to 32. They're all application. Number one, truth is to replace falsehood in our lives. Verse 25, he says, Therefore, having put away all faults, or putting away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. So, beloved, we are to love the truth. We are to be sincere as Christians about who we are. We're to be free from pretense or deceit. Putting on truth means not being manipulative. It means rejecting lies, rejecting falsehood, and not making false statements. Jesus said it like this. Let your let yes be yes and your no be no. Truth is to replace falsehood in our lives. Number two, anger that is righteous must replace anger that controls us. Verse 26 and 27, Paul said, Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Now, friends, some Christians think it's wrong to be angry. But Paul says right here, Be angry and do not sin. What's the difference? What Paul's talking about is a controlled or righteous anger versus an uncontrolled, selfish, or sinful anger. Another way of saying it, there's a time and a reason to be angry. There's time to have righteous anger over some gross injustice or great sin we see being committed against another. That's where you have like Jesus in the temple flipping over tables at the defilement of the Pharisees and the tax collectors and the money changers. But friends, more often than not, we get angry at the wrong time for the wrong reasons because of our own pride, our selfish desires and self-image that are wrapped up oftentimes in the process. There's a lot more I could say about anger, but, Paul, but suffice it to say, Paul says we've got to deal with our anger before the sun goes down. Why? If we don't, we can open ourselves up to the devil. 
All right? Number three, he says generosity must replace theft. Verse 28, he said, let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. It's very interesting. There's a pattern there for folks of this sort. You go from stealing to working to giving. And friends, there's many ways we even as Christians can steal. We can steal from our employer when we do not deliberately do and give our best to God or or to our employer. We steal when we overcharge for services in business. We steal when we create systems that oppress people financially for our personal gain. We steal from ourselves and even God when we waste the time, the talents, and the treasure that God has entrusted to us. Number four, our language, our language must change. Must change to what? The language of, excuse me, the language of cursing, or excuse me, the language of blessing must replace the language of cursing. Read verse 29. He says, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as it is good for building up, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. Now, when some of us read this, we think that God's telling us to put off potty mouth, right? To stop cussing. We gotta stop cussing. Where I'm from, it's cussing. But what Paul is really addressing here is not so much that, but it's about the way in which we talk about other people. See, putting off corrupting talk is talk that has the ability or is aimed at tearing down someone else. It has the power to rot another person. And instead, Paul says that we're to speak about others only in a, or only, or we're to speak about others only in a good way of which builds them up. A way that's fit for the occasion, in other words, right words at right time. And we're to do that with grace, charm, beauty that is proving and graceful. He also says that kindness must replace hostility in verses 31 and 32. He says, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away or be put away from you along with all malice. Verse 32, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ has forgiven you. Basically, in case Paul's missed anything, he pulls out a shotgun and gives us a big blanket cover, if you will, at the end. It's kind of a catch-all. And Paul says to be kind, compassionate, empathizing, willingness to free, or have a willingness about you to forgive, to be kind, have a disposition of compassion toward others. And why is that? Because at the end, that's how God in Christ has forgiven each and every one of us. Treat others like God has treated you. These are the new life patterns that Christ calls us to live. You may say, well, I hear what you're saying, preacher. I've tried that stuff that Paul lists here, or he's listed here, and I failed at it. It just made me feel guilty. Beloved, listen to me this morning. If you know Christ as your Lord and Savior, that you, listen, you are saved, forgiven, justified, sealed for the day of redemption by faith in Jesus Christ, whom in love came to live, die, and be crucified for your sins, and on the third day was raised again. Listen, friend, 
That's his work. You are not saved by your works, but the works of Jesus, okay? But beloved, that's just the beginning of the journey. God desires that we also become who we really are in Christ. And that we begin to live like Jesus, who is the true likeness of God in righteousness and holiness. And the way we do that, and it's oftentimes not exciting, is by the disciplines of putting off the old self and putting on new habits. Putting on our new selves in Christ. New habits of life, new habits of heart, new habits of soul and mind, just like those that Paul gives to us in this text. It does not happen spontaneously. It doesn't happen overnight. And in this life, it will not happen perfectly until Jesus comes back. You say, okay, help me to apply this, Father. These habits of life you're talking about, these things that Paul lists, it just sounds like a bunch of negative stuff to me. I really just don't want to do that. It's as simple as this. It's, it's as simple as old blue jeans and new blue jeans. Say, what do you mean? I've got an old pair of blue jeans, okay? I really, really like. They're comfortable. They're soft. They're well worn in. They feel right. They fit right. But they're so full of holes and rips that they're unfit to wear in public. Dana won't let me wear them out of the house. And for two years, I looked for a pair to replace them, okay? Finally just gave up. Well, one day, my wife finally comes home with a big bag, or not finally comes home, Dana comes home with a big bag. She comes out with all these new jeans. She says, here, I want you to try these on. And so reluctantly, you know, I'm like, okay, fine, I'll try these on. And I put them on, and I gotta be honest with you, they just, they didn't feel right. They felt strange. I was almost hostile to the things, to be honest with you. I mean, it just, just, just wasn't right. They didn't feel right, they didn't fit, ha- fit right, and I, just, and, and, and I just was not happy about these things at all. Took them off, put the new old ones back on. I'm like, there, that feels much better. Finally, though, after she kept encouraging me, I needed to throw the old ones away. After pouting about it, I came to grips that really I no longer could wear these old ones out in public, Okay. And I began with hesitation wearing the new ones. But you know what? Over time, they got broke in. They got kind of worn in. And then, not only did I not mind them at all, I actually came to prefer the new ones over the old ones. And a few de- and some time passed, I remember going back into my closet and I knew I was gonna have to clean some of this stuff out. I find these old ones and you know, I get out this old pair that's been my favorite jeans and you know what? I put those back on and now after wearing the new ones, they don't feel right. And I don't think I've put them back on since. Friends, this is exactly kind of thing. It's overly simplified that Paul is talking about. We are oftentimes comfortable with the old life and all that old stuff that verses, seven, or verses 17 to 19 mention and goes through, much like an old pair of worn-out blue jeans. And friends, when we try on the new ones at first, these new patterns of life, because I can tell we're all excited about it, 
you know what? They don't feel right. They feel strange. They, they don't feel like me. They don't feel like us. They don't feel like they're part of us. But after a while, once they get broken in and we begin to walk in them, not only do they begin to fit us and make us and shape us and form us, we begin to prefer to live that way. And then if something of the old life comes up and we're tempted to try those old patterns of life back on, what was once kind of our default mode and way our default mode and way of life, or, or what was once our default mode and way of life? It's not me. That's not who I am. I, 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 that's not the life that I want to live. And so, friends, it is off with the old and on with the new in the life of Christ. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Please stand with me as we recite what we believe in the words of the Nicene Creed. We believe in one God, the Father, the Almighty, maker of heaven and